grab onto the wheel, fasten your seatbelts, and step on the gas. WebmasterRadio.fm is going to take you on the ride of your life. You've just stepped off the curb into Rush Hour. Your Rush Hour hosts, Neil and Cameron, will take you on a fast-paced adventure through the high-tech metropolis known as social media, blogs, social networks, bookmarking, and more. Around every corner are the tools you'll need for marketing through the social web. Now, the light is green, but stay right where you are because you're in Rush Hour. Hey everybody, today is February 28th and this is the fourth episode of Rush Hour. I'm your host, Neil Patel, with Cameron Opius, and today we have Rand Fishkin from SEO Moss. How are you, Rand? Is, is Rand on the line? Yeah, I'm there here. He there he is. How are you, Rand? <laughs> good, good. Cool. So, anyways, we're going to start off with the uh, news, uh, social media news. We do this every week. So, not sure if you'll be familiar with all these stories, but if you are, uh, feel free to chime in. So, the first one is uh, is a new, uh, I guess, like a new social news site called NoiseTap, and it was launched by Ticketmaster, and it's pretty much a kind of a dick clone where it's a social news site for music. So, have either of you had a chance to look at that? And if so, what do you think of it? I have not had a chance, but I, I'm, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested to see, I mean, what, are, what do you guys think are the goals behind, you know, major media companies trying to, trying to get into this social space? What are, what are they hoping to achieve from it? Um, I'm sure they're hoping to achieve more sales. So I know there's like, a, I've checked it out a little. I mean, they don't seem to be getting much traffic. It's, you know, all the stories on the front page, they only have a couple of votes, yeah. like a couple of votes up. And it seems like they're doing like a, a lot of like cross-linking to to Ticketmaster for like ticket sales or other stuff like on the Ticketmaster website. Oh, so I, I guess see. That's and then overall... it's like record albums and stuff. Mm. Sure. Well, yeah. I mm. so I'm I'm reluctant to give this you know a full thumbs up, and I wonder too why they put it on a separate domain rather than making it you know Ticketmaster.com/slash/noisetap or something you know where sure. you can definitively funnel the traffic and all the links and, um, you know, the SEO love and, and whatnot. It seems like a somewhat of a counterintuitive play unless you're thinking that you're going to spin this off or, you know, make it its own property somehow. I don't know. I think it. I think <clears throat> this looks to me like dipping your foot in something that's hot rather than actually having a, a full strategy and a, you know, smart team and all those type of things. But well, I guess we'll see. I feel the same way because people are just creating all these, popping up some sort of soul site, or they want to be the next dig or get a little piece of the pie, but they don't have a goal in mind. All they're doing yeah. is like, hey, we want traffic and we want sales. Let's pop one up. If they can do it, we can do it because we have more money. And it doesn't really <laughs> work like that. Yeah, mind share and, uh, and finances are two hugely different things on the web. So Definitely. Anyone yep. who's investing in this type of thing would, would do well to think about that before they you know, spend $500,000 on a dev team who cackles about it behind their back, still visits Dig every day, and, you know, <laughs> spends like 40 hours putting it together. <laughs> sure, yeah, I agree. I agree pretty much with both of you, both of what you guys said. And anyways, moving on, uh, I guess Google in their, 
in their search, they've been testing uh, the Google video player and the YouTube video player. Have Did either of you really? see, see that one? No, I haven't seen that. That sounds crazy. What's the search you can do to see that? Um, as far as I know, the, the people that, that first came across it haven't been able to duplicate it, but they oh, did take okay. screenshots of it. Gotcha. And I think the way it was at the at the bottom left hand corner of the SERP, there was a a little link where where you could uh, expand the video and then mm-hmm. watch it right there on that on the SERP page. I think Nashville actually posted on that. He had a post called "Google is putting in YouTube and Google videos within SERP results. This is evil" or something like that. Oh, it's evil now to test different types of SERPs. That's that's good. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. If, if they can make sure that the video is actually relevant to search results, I don't have a problem with them. I actually think it's quite entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it. it, it is. Yeah, you're right. There's the Mashable post. This is evil. Yeah, it seems, um, it seems like a, a smart type of play, and Google, you know, obviously owns YouTube, but they're perfectly willing to display any type of content that they feel is going to, you know, meet the searcher's requirements. So I'm sure they're going to test this if they see a lot of people using it and enjoying it and not, you know, clicking the back button and, um, and you know, going to other engines or doing different searches um, or not following that result, then they'll keep it up. And they do that with everything. I mean, I think they you know, had a, they did a testing phase where they were doing the airline searches. So when you'd search for, you know, airline tickets or Chicago, fly Chicago to Seattle or something like that, you would see the little box um, that gave you prices from Travelocity and Orbitz and um, Expedia and those type of guys. And that box proved to be so successful that now they keep it in place permanently. And to my mind, I mean, it's a... It, it feels unfair, certainly, to the people who are ranking well, but it doesn't feel unfair to the searchers. And Google's responsibility isn't, sadly, to us, you know, the SEOs and the marketers. It's to their, you know, their primary consumers, which is, which is the, you know, 70% of Americans who use Google or, you know, 90% of Europeans who use Google. So I, I don't see where the argument comes into play that it's evil. The, the yeah, only thing I, that would concern me is, if they started embedding the videos into the search results and displaying them to everybody, hopefully they don't start placing ads in front of the videos. Oh, I see. Hmm. And well, so they haven't done that, but if they do do that, I think, I don't know, I wouldn't like that because that's an yeah, organic at that point, area. Yeah, at that point it would be similar to you clicking on a search result and having to view like a Google-sponsored ad before it took you to the website. And that would certainly be... You know, that would be them shooting themselves in the foot because then people would go to Yahoo where they could get direct results. Exactly. So, I think where the whole, we'll do that. Yeah. I think but, where the whole evil thing comes into play is that I guess people feel like maybe Google's trying to promote their, their own sites, the Google Video and YouTube, whereas I guess the question is, are they going to be doing that with all video sites or just their two properties? So that maybe is where the... Yeah, you and know, that would be a little bit Google. less fair. I think, you know, people definitely complained when I know that... Uh, you know, people like Kayak.com and Faircast and uh, um, some of the other also-rans cheap tickets and stuff were like, hey, how come it's Expedia and Orbitz and Travelocity that are in the one-box results at Google? You know, oh, I see why it is, because they're the biggest advertising spenders at Google. You know, they they spend whatever X amount of millions of dollars a month, and we're only spending, you know, $4 million a month or something with you. So that's why you put them in those, bo- in those box results. And, of course, the 
you know, the flip side to that is, well, wait a minute, those are the most popular travel search services. So, yes, they're the biggest spenders, but, you know, the question then would be, if they continue to be the most popular, but they weren't the biggest spenders, would they drop out? And right now, I mean, who is, you know, YouTube's competition is, is kind of small in comparison. You're talking about a 60 or 70% market share for YouTube. Is that right? Sure, yes. Something yeah, so, I mean, I mean, I definitely think that if a film was on, you know, Meta Cafe or Yahoo Video or iFilm or something like that, and Google knew, oh, that's what someone's searching for, then, yeah, the non-evil thing would, to do would be to show them that. But, you know, for most Internet video, you're really talking about YouTube. Yeah, yeah and I, I personally only use YouTube, and Meta Cafe and all those other sites are great, too, but it's just easier to go to YouTube because usually what you can find on those other sites, and a lot of times you can find them on YouTube. Yeah, YouTube. One of the funny things that uh, that I was talking about with um, with Joe Morin, and this will, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but you know, on the MSP thing, the the proposal that I did to my girlfriend, um, the he was talking about you know the the number of views that it got on iFilm, and comparing that to what he thought it would have gotten on YouTube, which was probably ten or twenty times that number, and maybe more. You know, because of YouTube's popularity, the possibility of something going viral there. And getting seen by you know millions and millions of people is considerably higher than any of the other sites, which makes that barrier to entry for video that much more difficult. So yeah, Meta Cafe you know will pay its users to put um, to put you know high ranked videos on the site or you know highly viewed videos. And I think iFilm has certain times when they'll do advertising revenue share and those types of things, but. You know, you've got to be you've got to be asking yourself, well, geez, do I want the advertising revenue share of you know fifty thousand visits, or do I want the possibility of reaching a million people? So it's a little odd. So with that being said, why is it that you chose to put it on iPhone versus putting it on? YouTube? Well, so <laughs> well, so that's another <laughs> funny thing. So actually, uh, Joe owns the rights to that video. Um, I don't, okay. and so uh, and that was that was part of. You know his deal when he when he approached me about the project, he was like, "Dude, I can make this happen for real." And knowing Joe and knowing his connections to the the world of big media and big companies, I said, "Joe, you take it and run with it." And um, and he did, and you know, obviously got inches away from putting it on the Super Bowl, which was which was damn impressive. And um, so, of course, you know, he in exchange owns the rights to that video, and so I believe he has a revenue sharing deal with iFilm, and. Did not make a considerable amount of money, but but made some at least cover his costs a little bit uh, when when he put that on iPhone. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, anyways, uh, next up for the news is there was a Hitwise report that came out that showed Dig is the fastest growing news news site in the UK, and they have uh, year over year since uh, I guess January '06 to January '07 they had almost a 500% growth. And Search Engine Journal actually wrote a post on this today, so I'm sure you guys probably had have seen that in the last couple of days or came across it today on Search Engine Journal. I didn't yeah. even know that it was there a popular site in the UK. <laughs> I thought it was mainly the US. But no, that's well, amazing it, on the rapid growth in the UK for Dig. <clears throat> it's not it's not entirely surprising. The the problem that I see with Dig is that I think you're going to see that fast, fast growth, but then you're going to see it stop, um, and and it's going to reach a you know almost like a glass ceiling. And the reason is because of Dig's focus. You know, I would actually give the long-term possibility of a site like Reddit much more of a chance to get the 
you know, the whole population. Dig is great, and it's great for your tech set, and it's great for very tech-savvy folks or people in technology industries or, or related industries. But you move outside of that world, I mean, go show it to your parents. They're not going to read it. You know, go show it to your, you know, your brother and sister who work in, I don't know, nonprofit or who work in, uh, you know, government grants or who work at, you know, um, the pet store or something. It's, it's just not interesting material. Reddit, on the other hand, very, very interesting stuff. So I don't know. I'd give, I'd, I'd look to see to say you know that's really impressive and I'm I'm very happy for Dig certainly, um, and I don't begrudge them any of that traffic. But I'd I'd be cautious to overestimate you know where they might go from here. Sure. And the other thing is with the older population, when I show people Netscape, Dig, and Reddit, a lot of the older people prefer Netscape actually over oh, really? all the sites because it's a lot more political and that mm-hmm. sort of news compared to Dig. So. Yeah, Netscape is more of your like sixty minutes crowd, huh? Exactly. Yeah, that's a good point. I I hadn't yeah I hadn't thought about Netscape as highly just because I don't use it personally, but I should. <laughs> yeah, it can actually drive quite good traffic. The only problem I oh have yeah no Netscape. I mean I've seen it for I've seen it drive traffic you know to some of our sites and our clients and stuff, but I haven't I don't personally play around there. I'm not sure what it is. It's something something about the slant there doesn't hit me perfectly. But I guess I, that's a you know I mean that's the thing about the demographics. All of these sites are have slightly different topical focus, and you're going to hit a slightly different demographic. I don't know that there's necessarily one who's going to win out over all the others and be, you know, that's the mainstream version. You know, that's your CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, and you know CBS, NBC. So we'll see. Well, I personally love Netscape because well, it could just be me because I'm from Dig. What ends up happening is when I start posting on Netscape or voting on stories or anything like that, people are very friendly to me, like, hey, you're from Dig, come on over to Netscape. We'll treat you really well. So <laughs> That's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah so it's I interesting to see the different... get buried on Dig don't get buried on Netscape. Yeah, that, that buried thing that you guys wrote was awesome. I saw a link to that from Search Engine Land, and that was, that was very cool. Well, wait, it wasn't... Who put it, that together? One of your writers on... Uh, uh, yeah, Mohammed Salim. Yeah. He's, uh, one of the new writers on it. Yeah, and Mohammed had a great... That was a terrific post about the... Uh, you know, about watching the buried counts and just seeing, you know, a good story about Microsoft or a good story about Sony, perfectly relevant, reasonable content, not promotional or anything. And, of course, it got buried because it's got Sony in the title or Microsoft in the title. You know, and he calls out one of the users who's doing it, and you know, it just says "shame on you," and and it's so true. But that's, you know, that's the way it is. I wonder if in the future, Dig will put together some t- sort of algorithm so that they'll say, if it has Microsoft in the title, you know, it takes three times as many berries to bury the story <laughs> because we know that people are, you know, are kind of idiots about doing that. And that's the first thing that came to mind when I saw the new Microsoft category that they added. I'm like, all right, right, this is cool. It gives diggers now a place where they can put all the Microsoft hate posts in there and stories. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're not going to get positive stories about Microsoft, but um, but you'll probably see some very negative ones. Right, yeah, cool. I, just, I just think that I was just going to say I think that goes to show the the maturity of the dig audience versus something uh, a site like Netscape, yeah. where you don't have a lot of the Netscape users like just bearing stories down for no reason or because it has Microsoft or Sony in the title, whereas it seems that seems to happen a lot on Dig. 
So I think a lot of that is just, I guess, probably like the the demographics of the site. Dig probably has a much younger user base than Netscape or Reddit or any of the other ones do, I would think. Yeah, well, younger and more opinionated. The thing is, though, I wonder if without that audience, would Dig have ever existed? You know, it's that sort of, it's those passionate, you know, fanboys, um, and, and that level of immaturity also creates a level of obsession and passion, and I'm on there five hours a day digging stories and, you know, pressing up and down, and I have it in my feed reader, and it's all I do at work, really. You know, if it wasn't for, for those folks, I don't know that Dig would have ex- experienced the success they did. So it's a, um, you know, it's a bit of a Pandora's box there. I don't know. Cool. So this is a great um, moment to take a quick commercial break. We'll be back shortly. All right. Rush Hour will be speeding right back after these commercial messages. Hang on. You've seen those reality game shows throwing around millions of dollars. Deal or no deal. Survivor. American Idol. Well, WebmasterRadio.fm brings you a true reality show where millions upon millions of dollars in domains are on the line. WebmasterRadio.fm presents the Traffic West Domain Auction. Wednesday, March 7th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. Join the host of Domain Masters, Moniker.com's Monty Khan, as he brings you this multi-million dollar spectacular that you can afford to miss. The Traffic West Domain Auction from the luxurious Venetian Hotel Resort and Casino in Las Vegas. Hosted by Domain Masters, Monty Khan. Live Wednesday, March 7th at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, 11.30 a.m. Pacific. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Everywhere. Now, experience the future of web design and development with a whole new level of efficiency, expressiveness, and simplified workflow. Introducing Studio 8, a compilation of the latest releases from Dreamweaver, Flash Professional, Fireworks, Contribute, and Flash Paper. Sure to inspire you to create superior online video sites and mobile content. And now, through this exclusive WebmasterRadio.fm offer, listeners can save a whopping $100 off Studio 8. Visit the online store at Adobe or contact Adobe Customer Services and provide promo code Webmaster Radio in order to receive your discount. Studio 8, your way to create. One traffic? For results without hassle, look no further than Search Ad Network. Focused on your core goals, our dedicated account management team will drive your online sales, increase brand recognition, and generate leads for offline sales through expert search engine marketing and technology. In addition, Search Ad Network offers free click fraud detection and API access into all major engines to ensure your business reaches their desired ROI. Visit searchadnetwork.com today to experience true profit through performance. Know how to get the best return on your advertising dollar? Clicksore.com. Yeah, ever since we began marketing with more precise content, target technology from Clicksore.com, we've seen a huge jump in visitors converting to buyers for just over one-third of a cent per view. To get over 300 categories, unlimited keywords and ad placement on over 100,000 sites, click on Clicksore.com today. That's Clicksore.com. Your bottom line will thank you. Clicksore.com. Delivers where it matters for you.
Captain's Log, Stardate 8130.3. Starship Enterprise on training mission to Gamma Hydra, Section 14. Identify for retina scan. It's Monty Khan. Khan, you've got Genesis. But you don't have me. You are going to kill me, Khan. You're going to have to come down here. The masses are starting to get online and get their identities and find new ways to make money in the marketplace, and I think they're all aiming their guns. You have a tendency to express ideas in military terms, Mr. Khan. This is a social occasion. Well, they are party animals. They do throw uh, some of the best parties in our industry, that's for sure. Evaluation, Mr. Fox. Crude methods, but effective. We posted our booth up next to uh, a booth that's giving away beer. How appropriate that is for you guys, huh? Hey, I've taken care of everything. Now, all y'all got to do is just relax. Doctor's orders. If I don't see you next week, I'll see you in two weeks from now. Same time, same place. Gone. How do we know you'll keep your word? I promise you, be the master of your domain. <laughs> Don't incur the wrath of Khan. Listen to Domain Masters, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on webmasterradio.fm. Start your search engine and set your servers into overdrive. It's webmasterradio.fm, steering you into the winner's circle. Webmasterradio.fm, we're everywhere. Slam on your brakes. You've just reached your final destination. Rush Hour on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, back to your Rush Hour hosts, Neil and Cameron. Hey everybody, we're back. We're joined here with Rand Fishkin from SEO Moz, and we're discussing the latest happenings in social media. Yep, just a couple of quick news items before we move along here, um, both related to Dig. The first one is Dig let back in all the domains that they had banned. Uh, one of them was uh, Lee Odin's blog, Top Rank blog. So yep. pretty cool to see that get back in and all the others as well. That's, I think that's that's a very positive step from the, the Dig administrators to say that, hey, we recognize these are not, you know, a bunch of junky spam sites, We you know, and, and we, we knocked them out for uh, improper reasons, or at least we should, you know, we should be including content from them or allowing content from them to rank here um, because it, it seemed so arbitrary and, and just nonsensical and, and amateurish, frankly, to have that out of there. You know, I think it's one of those things like um, if you could imagine CNN saying, oh, well, we're not going to cover stories about... Um, you know Alabama because Alabama was mean. You know the Alabama government was 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 mean to us one time. <laughs> you know it's it's just kind of it's just silliness and and I'm glad to see them get over it. Yeah, and I think the approach they're taking now is let all the sites back in that didn't do anything really hardcore shady in the first place. Let them back in, and if the whole dig community feels that they're spam. Yeah, it'll just be harder for them to get on the homepage, or they won't make the homepage. It shouldn't yeah. be where they just get banned. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if good content is submitted from those sites, then it's fine. I was—I have to say that I'm shocked. I was almost, you know, without explanation for why SEOmas didn't get banned from Dig. I—I I can't understand it. I'm not sure what, you know, Lee Auden's site or some of the other guys that were on there were doing differently than what we're doing. And certainly, you know, we're on Dig a couple times a week. So I, it's very hard for me to picture, 
you know, where someone was able to draw the line and say, oh, you know, top rank, that, that, they're SEOs, they're spammers, and SEO moz, uh, well, no, maybe, maybe they have some good content. I guess we'll keep them on there. <laughs> it seemed very arbitrary. Yeah, even well, though you I got think, SEO on the domain name, right? They didn't dig because Oatmeal wrote on also like design related stuff, such as, I don't know. Five elements that you should be using that you're not, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it just it just it felt like I mean, and a lot of you know a lot of Matt's posts are really good, and they're they're very topical. You know, he reads Dig all the time. He really enjoys that audience. Um, he's certainly part of you know the web developer designer crowd, and so when he sees stuff on there, sometimes it'll kind of inspire him to make a list or you know put together something on SEOmas, and a lot of times that stuff makes Dig because he he fits well with that demographic. Um, you know, but I, I was just surprised because it didn't feel to me like those other sites were doing anything much different um, than than what we do. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think they're you. doing anything totally different. It was, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it feels arbitrary. But uh, exactly. sorry, go ahead, Cameron. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> oh, anyways, they're they're uh, let back in. So, like you said, I, I think that's a, a positive step for Dig. Um, and, you know, I just kind of think that they should, instead of banning home domains, they should just take it case by case, like, I guess, con- piece of content by piece of content. Yeah. Or whatever, versus, like, the whole domain. So, I totally anyways, agree uh, yeah, we'll move on. And I guess this is kind of going to go, this next piece of news that we have is going to kind of, I guess, look bad for Dig because they banned uh, one of their top users, uh, Supernova17. I think mm. they banned him yesterday or today. Because he was the one that actually first submitted the post that that showed all the uh, data for the buried stories. It well, was actually quite different. Um, Blood Junkie submitted that story that Mohammed wrote. The Blood Junkie? Yeah, which was on, you know, the whole Berry Brigade and stuff like that. And then what ended up happening was it got buried right away. So Supernova came by, he saw the post, and he obviously knew it got buried because then he submitted it again to Dig and put a pound at pound sign at the end of the URL. And then right. once he submitted it, it got buried quick, and then they pretty much pulled his uh, username. Jesus. <laughs> Are they really that sensitive? It, it, it's, it feels like a sort of weird political, you know, um, the castle from Kafka or something. I mean, it's just not, completely nonsensical. That, that seems... Oh, the more I know about Dig, the 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 less <laughs> the less positive I feel. It's like one step forward with the unbanning of all those sites, and three steps back for banning <laughs> someone for you know it's that's oh that's tragic. I I don't know what to say. I, I, I would I would love to you know hear specifically from from uh, Kevin Rose or, or or some of the other guys who manage those types of things to see what's really going on there and, and whether this is um, how they feel that a community should be run because it doesn't, it doesn't feel right at all. Yeah, it doesn't make sense at all. But from, from my understanding from their point of view is they felt that they were uh, exposing data that shouldn't be released. I guess it kind of goes along the same thing as where shoe money got banned from my blog log for posting a security hole. I guess right. this was kind of a security hole where people could see who was burying the different stories and because you brought attention to that, or from, well, and I just have—I mean, I would—I ex- just expect higher standards from a community like Dig, where the organizers are clearly more in touch with their base. 
they're more in touch with the with the folks around them, um, and and they should have a really good grasp on what should be happening. Uh, you know, at Yahoo, I can certainly imagine a corporate executive saying, "Wait, someone showed you know some technical leaks. Well, I want you to ban his account." You know, and not really having a, a, a particularly good idea until the whole story gets to them, and then they forgive shoe money and, and let him back in. And I, uh, I don't know. I, I would just hope that Dig is a um, a more well connected community, but maybe it's not the case anymore. Maybe they have turned into you know a big corporate entity again. Yeah, you would think that they that they would be more community style, but like you said, they you know maybe they are turning into more of the big corporate entity, and you know. They're letting that, I guess, power get to them and things like that. Yeah, that's frustrating. Oh, well, such is the way. <laughs> yep, so moving on, uh, let's talk about the My Super proposal that you did. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so anyways, um, uh, for those of you that haven't seen it, Rand actually was the guy behind the My Super proposal where, you know, you had a blog and you were trying to get a commercial where you proposed your girlfriend on the Super Bowl. Yeah. And apparently, apparently from uh, my understanding is that the last minute that you were dropped from the Super Bowl and you ended up doing it on, uh, Veron- was it Veronica Mars? Veronica the- Mars, yeah, show? that's right. So, um yeah, so what it what had happened was, you know, I had this I had this blog that had been running. Um and actually it was a friend of mine, someone who reads SEOMAS, um, one of our, our fans who knew that I was thinking about um proposing to to my girlfriend Geraldine, uh who I call mystery guest on the blog. And uh so this guy from Tennessee had started up this website, my super proposal, intending to raise enough money, um, a la the million dollar homepage guy and the what red piper clip guy. And, and raise enough money to buy an ad on the Super Bowl. So, um, of course, I uh, said, you know, yeah, that sounds, you know, that sounds terrific. He had he'd come up with this idea. His girlfriend found out about it, and uh, she didn't like the idea. She was kind of shy and private, and also, once she'd found out, she thought it wouldn't be a great surprise anymore. So he, he emails me, and I was like, yeah, dude, I'll totally do it. And so uh, I started writing on, on the MySuperProposal.com site, um, and kind of taking over that effort. And, of course, I don't know if any of you have tried to hide something that's part of your daily life from your girlfriend who you live with for, you know, like nine months or six months, but it was really challenging. I think that was that was the worst part of this, was just, like, sneaking around all the time. So incredibly frustrating. But in any case, um, yeah, Joe Morin uh, got involved on the project because he saw, you know, Hey, this is kind of going nowhere. So he contacted me um, anonymously at first, and then and then he knew who I was. So um, and he started working on the media angles and got it mentioned in like Sports Illustrated magazine and ESPN and Ad Age. And then I did like a little segment for Entertainment Tonight and uh, what was the other one? Good Morning America. Um, in which I snuck out of my apartment at like 4 a.m., told Geraldine I had a call with Israel. Because, <laughs> you know, they're way far ahead, so that'll make sense. <laughs> so I sneak out of my house and, like, get picked up by this, uh, by this like, limo around the corner from my apartment building and, like, driven to a little studio in downtown Seattle and smuggled inside. Like, they had me wear, like, a scarf around my head. <laughs> it was ridiculous because <laughs> they didn't want anyone identifying me. So it was pretty funny. And then, yeah, we had a... Um, had an advertiser who said, um, who said yes, and flew me out to um, undisclosed location where their headquarters is, 
Um, they they filmed a spot with me. It was it was really fun, actually. All the people who were there from the advertiser were terrific. Um, and I, I can't reveal their identity, but it's a top ten um, advertiser in in the U.S. on on television. Um, so that'll narrow it down for you at least. And uh, yeah, with about nine days to go, they they kind of pulled out of the project. They were negotiating with Joe about the rights for the uh, after video, and um, yeah, it just kind of fell apart. So they called me one day to say, you know, we're pulling out entirely. And then of course I immediately called Joe and said, ah, what happened? And he had a bunch of other advertisers who were interested, including people like uh, Hershey's Kisses, and they and then. None of them had time to put together the ad before uh, before the Super Bowl, so didn't end up showing. Quick question about the douchebag that didn't allow the commercial to air. <laughs> Sorry, who's the douchebag that didn't allow the commercial to air? <laughs> well, you no, give us I mean, more hints. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm not allowed to, to to say who it is. I didn't actually sign anything with them, so there's a bunch of people who think that. Because of that, I won't be, you know, I'm not uh, at risk for libel. But I can tell you that their um, army of lawyers is something that I would never want to face. Um, and I just, it's, it's just a calculated, you know, um, I think it, it, it's a protectionism. I just don't want to face them in court. <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't think I could survive, um, very frankly. So while I'd love to say who it is, um, and I don't really have anything negative to say about them either. I mean, except for the fact that they pulled out, I had a really positive experience with them. They even flew someone out here to Seattle, um, and they brought like a little, you know, mini DVD player and showed me the ad that they had put together. And they had bought 45 seconds of time. So they bought like a little 15-second intro clip, and then they had bought um, a 30-second clip. So I think that what CBS ended up doing is filling that time with their own uh, – you know, like promo ads for their shows. So if you mm-hmm. watched the Super Bowl, you would have noticed that in the fourth quarter, there was a really high number, like there seemed to be a, a higher number of like ads for, you know, NCIS or CSI Miami or whatever. Um, and, and I think that some of that time was taken away by, by this advertiser. So interesting stuff, definitely. And working with the, you know, the Fortune 500, well, Fortune 50, um, brands and, and seeing, you know, this this kind of level of things was fascinating, an incredible insight. Yeah, it's interesting. Is there anything like about that, like specifically about the experience, like working with the Fortune 50 companies, like their brands and their? You probably worked with their brand managers or sure, their yeah. CMOs or anything like that. So maybe anything well, you could share. So I- I mean, I definitely tried to remove myself from it from a marketing perspective um, and kind of let Joe handle that side of things because, A, I wanted the, you know, I wanted the whole process to be as, as genuine and as about Geraldine and I and you know, us getting married and, and, and having a relationship as possible and not about, you know, well, you know, what's it like marketing here? What's it like advertising? <laughs> but certainly, I mean, it was, it was very, very interesting to see. You know, I think that... Um, I, I had a couple meetings the first day I was there where we just sat down with, yeah, like brand manager folks, um, directors of advertising, director of marketing type people. And, um, you know, as opposed to what, what you might think of, at least with this company, these were all very, very smart people and very well-connected, um, very media savvy, not particularly tech savvy, which I think is, you know, is universally the case, but um, certainly... I was I was more impressed than I expected to be. I expected to find, you know, some 
some elements that I that I would be forced to you know think not as well of them um, or not as highly. But but in fact, I, I was very impressed. And their you know certainly their commercial filming team was remarkable. They had like this huge studio with these you know it was like one of those white background sets. So the white wall behind you just disappears into nothing, and then there's these huge you know HDTV cameras that are on rollers that are like the size of tanks and this big crew and it was really funny um <laughs> when i was i was doing a couple of the ad sets and you know they wanted me to do it impromptu the director is like so i get there in the morning and the director is like um uh you know there's a hair and makeup person and i was like oh sorry you know i've got a kind of a big pimple right in the middle of my head this morning like ooh great day for a zit and uh <laughs> and the, the the director's like no no don't cover that up it's more real that way <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, God damn it, the one day I get to wear makeup and they don't let me. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a really funny and interesting experience, and um, everyone there was really cool. And, you know, there was, like, a big marketing team of folks watching from, like, behind a curtain, and you could hear after some of the takes, like, some of the, some of the women in the group would just be, like, kind of crying a little bit because they thought it was so cute. <laughs> so, it was funny. I mean, it was a fun experience. Yeah, I know when my wife saw the the thing I had the little clip on iFilm, she was pretty much she was all teary eyed and about to cry and stuff too. So definitely gets to those girls that sappy stuff. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so, uh, this is more than a little sappy. Take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back shortly. All right. Rush hour will be speeding right back after these commercial messages. Hang on. Wow. I never saw anyone fish with such a wide net before. Oh, really? I don't like fishing with a pole. Can't catch the big ones fast enough. No kidding. You've got a bunch. Yeah, I know. This wide net gives me great distribution and reach. Really? How's it work? Well, fish like to move around to various parts of the lake, so by casting a wide net, I gather fish from everywhere they congregate. Wow, that's pretty smart. Thanks. Wide nets work. And they make you look smart. If you're looking to cast a wider net and fish where the fish are, Look Smart Advertising Solutions can help. Go to signup.looksmart.com to learn more. Marketing payouts lacking green, leaving you seeing red? Get your business in the black with NeverBlueAds.com. Sign up with NeverBlueAds.com today and earn an additional $200 for the first $200 generated. Get ready to flash those pearly whites with unique campaigns, real-time stats, great personal service, and high payouts on time every month from NeverBlueAds.com. Results for advertisers, income for affiliates, everybody wins with a better marketing experience from NeverBlueAds.com. Generating buzz for your company is essential and now easier than ever with Paper Post, the consumer-generated advertising network. Our powerful network of bloggers at Paper Post will creatively expose your product or service through original link-generated ads and embedding video or audio on their sites. Launch your viral marketing campaigns with confidence and enjoy increased traffic with higher conversion rates only through Paper Post. Visit PaperPost.com and join the revolution. Dishy Mix, the soap opera for the Internet Society. Susan Bratton dishes up delicious news and gossip while interviewing the glitterati of the Web 2.0 world. Dishy Mix, Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, only on webmasterradio.fm. Want a hot pod? Load it with webmasterradio.fm and play with us all day long. 
WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Slam on your brakes. You've just reached your final destination. Rush Hour on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, back to your Rush Hour host, Neil and Cameron. Hi, everybody. We're back. And we're joined here with Rand Fishkin from SEO Moz and just talking about social media. So, uh, Rand, this morning you announced on your blog that you're writing a book. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> um, well, so I announced that I'm definitely seeking people's opinions and, and thinking about writing a book. Um, okay, it's, so it's not for sure yet? Well, it's, I would say it's it's 90% for sure. It's just one of those things that I that I know we really need to do. And, you know, we have such a huge audience at, at SEO Moz who I think would, you know, would really enjoy getting something like that, as long as it's high quality, um, that it, it makes a lot of sense for us to do it. And it's something that can be a, um, a latent revenue stream and, and probably something that can be really enjoyable, too. So, yeah. The only problem with that is, and I actually like writing books, and we're trying to do something on social media, and what we found is it's time. It's really hard to find time just to sit down there and just write pages and pages. It's yeah, not enough time in the day. <laughs> it is. It's a, it's a struggle, and I mean, luckily, you know, all all three of us are are bloggers, so we're familiar with writing, you know, a few paragraphs of information very quickly. So I think that's what this is going to end up being is a lot of chunking. Um, and for me, I spend, I don't know, somewhere between ten and twenty hours a month on a plane. So I think that's going to be, you know, a lot of my time, uh, especially when I'm on a plane or traveling somewhere and, and don't have, you know, other things that I can do or that I can get to at the time, I'll probably work on a book. So is this something that you decided to do on your own or were you approached by a publishing company to write, to write the book? Yeah, well, I, okay, so I was approached by a couple publishing companies um, over the last 12 months or so, but um, including one recently who wanted me to write something about the, the super proposal thing, which I said no to, <laughs> of course. But, um, yeah, the, uh, you know, I've been approached by a couple publishing companies and, and thought about it, you know, I considered it, but the, um, the value of, of, you know, spending the 10 or 20 grand to get the book published ourselves is probably much, much higher in returns. Because even if you do that self-publishing stuff, like lulu.com, um, it'll be like, you know, a full-color, 75-page, you know, well-bound book that looks good is, you know, like $25 a copy to print, and then you're going to sell it for, what, like 30 or 35 as opposed to doing it with a, you know, with a book publisher or book printer where you pay, you know, up front and you have to get a print run of, yeah, like, you know, 5,000 or 10,000 copies, but it's like 3 or $4 a copy. And then you make the twenty bucks on top of that, so that seems to make a lot more sense to me. That's actually not a bad idea. What we were thinking with uh, the social media book that we're writing, mm-hmm. it's worst case scenario, just release it as an ebook and sure, get yeah. it off the website. So I really, I, I'm reticent to do an ebook, um, primarily because I think there's a lot of competition in that space, especially with SEO, and also because I think that. Um, if I was if I was going to do an ebook, something that was really accessible online, I'd I'd want it to be something more like a rehash of the SEO Moz Beginner's Guide and make it free. Um, you know, I know that a lot of folks have have chided me for you know not making revenue off that, and especially after we released SEO Moz's revenue numbers, which are 
much much lower than most people would expect um I, I still feel like there's a you know significant amount to be given back and that a lot of people who couldn't afford services who can't afford you know to do a whole lot and who constantly get i don't know um swindled by the SEO snake oil salesman, you know, that something like that in an online format would be really valuable. So, I don't know. We'll see. And I do like the free approach, and I have even thought about the free approach. The problem I have with that is a lot of people have the conception in their mind that, hey, if something's for free, it's not going to provide as much right. as value as things are oh, paid. Yeah, you're, you're totally right, Neil. I mean, and I've struggled with that as well. So, it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough, tough bunch of decision-making, but we'll see. Definitely, yeah, because my whole thing was just like, if I write a book, I want to give it away for free. I don't care for the money, right? Right. But the problem is, is you're going to get a lot of people, yeah, you'll get a lot of link love and stuff like that, but a lot of people won't read it because they're like, ah, this is for free. How good can it be? So Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny that, you know, you charge $14 for something in Barnes & Noble, and people are like, ooh, that must be important and valuable. And you give it away for free on the Internet, and people are like, ah, it's probably junk. <laughs> Not necessarily true. I have read a lot of $14 books at Barnes & Noble that are, you know, on the subject of web dev, web design, web marketing that are complete crap. You know, and then I'll read, like, one post from Todd Malicote or one post from Danny Sullivan or, you know, even a post from you guys or something and just be like, man, that's totally worth the $14. <laughs> uh, them's the breaks. So uh, in the pre-show, we started to, uh, you had mentioned the uh, the anatomy of a superdig and how Jennifer Laycock had written about that on her blog. Oh, yeah. So maybe because this is something on your blog, you want to give us kind of the, the background of it and we can discuss that for a little? Sure, sure. So um, a user submitted uh, a post to UMOS, which is kind of our new, you know, anyone can write posts. We review them. Um, we'll edit them for grammar and spelling and stuff like that, and then uh, post them to this UMOS section um, or or deny them sometimes. And if the blog is, is good enough, we'll promote it to our um, our primary SEOMOS blog where, you know, you've got 7,000 feed readers or whatnot. Um, the anatomy of a super dig was from this Daniel Tinsky guy who um, wrote a, a great post on um, this, this auto website, um, it wasn't specifically about, you know, automobiles. It's about, um, you know, the, the site is a car dealership in West Palm Beach, Florida. And the, the article was called Eight Diseases That Give You Super, Superhuman Powers. It's a really interesting article. Um, it puts together, like, a bunch of other information from, like, Discovery Health specials and YouTube videos and yada, yada, yada. Um, so not particularly relevant content, uh, but definitely made a big splash on Dig and on Reddit and got picked up by um, some other big blogs, uh, you know, just sent an enormous amount of traffic and a huge amount of links as well into this guy's site. So it's kind of the, you know, a good model of a, of a perfect uh, link-baiting campaign. But, you know, then Jennifer Laycock um, from Search Engine Guide had some, um, you know, had some negative points to say about the value of an article like that. So... From, from reading her post, uh, the, what I gathered is that her problem was because the article wasn't relevant with the site. And yeah. I can kind of agree. I kind of agree with her there on that point. But she also made the point that I, I guess that link baiting isn't really going to be effective as a whole. And she kind of uh, she kind of placed it along the same lines as 
like all the other black hat techniques in the past, like reciprocal linking, cloaking, stuffing keywords, and yeah. that kind of thing. And that's really where I disagree with her because, you know, link baiting, in my opinion, or viral content or anything like that is very valuable, especially if it is targeted and relevant to the site that you're trying to promote. And, you know, I had I had one other issue that I was kind of thinking about at lunch today, which was that while she's she's right in that it, it, this the content that, that Daniel created may not be specifically relevant to his client, and not a lot of the traffic there, a very, you know, a fractional percentage is going to be um, clicking through or seeing anything else on the site or that type of thing. But I also had a problem with her saying that Google is going to figure out a way to, you know, not count the link value from all of those sites who are linking into this post and not count that link value towards the rest of the site. And my perception there could be off, but when I think about branding in general and I think about the offline world, I kind of I imagine somebody like a local car dealership maybe here in Seattle, right? And they go and they give a bunch of money to charity or they sponsor like a fundraising event and they get written about in the Seattle Times and they get written about in the Post-Intelligencer and maybe on a few blogs online and that type of stuff. And when you see something like that happen, yeah, you know what, the fundraising that they did or, you know, the little press piece that they did, maybe it, you know, maybe it didn't do anything positive. Maybe it was just a really funny commercial that they ran or, you know, something completely unrelated to their business. But whenever you see that, the branding increases and they always see increased sales from that. And that's why you see these kinds of offbeat marketing moves from companies. And my question would be, you know, in the, in the offline world, since it adds value and it creates branding and it creates attention and it gives people a positive impression of the company, why should it be different in the online world? Like, why is it that Google shouldn't count links to a site if the content isn't on the subject of the rest of the site? So do you I agree that maybe that. those links should be devalued, though, or do you think that they should, should keep the same value as a link that's for something that's relevant? Like, what are your thoughts well, on so that versus... I mean, I think that Google is doing a pretty good job of saying, hey, these links are helping you to rank well for, you know, these eight diseases that can give you superhuman powers. So maybe when search someone searches for, you know, superhuman diseases or superhuman powers, like, it'll rank well for that. And, of course, I see no problem with that because it is relevant to those searches. But what Google is also doing that, that we in the link baiting business kind of count on is that by attracting a ton of good links, you are also pushing up your rankings for everything else because d Google is associating you positively with all the links that you attract, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, even though it's kind of like you, yeah, you added a little bit of water in this side of the pool, but it's raising the level of, of everything in the pool. So I think that um, I don't see why Google should be removing those I, because I think that this is, you know, by and large, a vote for the quality of content on that site. Maybe it's not a vote for the quality of used car content on that site, but should it have some, you know, lingering effect on the rest of the content of the site? Yeah, and especially it should if they can continue to put out great stuff because it, it says something about the brand. It says something that they are worthy of attention, you know, the same way that the local car dealership in Seattle here, you know, had a hilarious freeway ad that got, you know, them mentioned in the Seattle Times or something. Cool. So we're going to take the last commercial break right now. We'll be back shortly. All right.
Rush Hour will be speeding right back after these commercial messages. Hang on. Are you getting the most out of your online advertising? Now get more from your media spend with superior real-time targeting and creative optimization technology. Get more now from Casali Media. Casali Media. Save big as Casali Media's ad experts place your premium campaigns across the web's hottest properties at the most competitive rates. Want more? Get, get more. Visit casalimedia.com slash more to request your media kit. Casali Media. Advertising online is better here. Casali Media. Know how to get the best return on your advertising dollar? Clicksore.com. Yeah, ever since we began marketing with more precise content, target technology from Clicksore.com, we've seen a huge jump in visitors converting to buyers for just over one-third of a cent per view. To get over 300 categories, unlimited keywords and ad placement on over 100,000 sites, click on Clicksore.com today. That's Clicksore.com. Your bottom line will thank you. Clicksore.com. Delivers where it matters for you. MarketingExperiments.com. Learn how we increase traffic by 446% with our Google AdWords campaign while reducing cost per click by 58% at MarketingExperiments.com. MarketingExperiments.com. Log on and register for our interactive SEM certification course today and discover how to build, target, and maximize ad campaigns like an expert through our proven paid search optimization formula. MarketingExperiments.com. For details, see MarketingExperiments.com slash PPC. Marketing Experiments. Discover what really works. And now, WebmasterRadio.fm proudly presents Inspirational Moments by David Naylor. These three guys are like garlic bread, and I'm standing back at the counter, like, dude, what are you, the garlic bread? He's like, the garlic bread with the garlic snails, with the garlic chicken, and then for, like, cocktails, you add, like, the garlic strawberries, and it's like, and then you put on, like, like the garlic cologne with the garlic face mask, and it's like... Uh, Dude, that's not garlic. That's your ass. <laughs> Tune in for more inspirational moments with David Naylor and Michael DeMint every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Strike Point, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Don't get caught in a web of confusion. Learn the ropes on webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Slam on your brakes. You've just reached your final destination. Rush Hour on webmasterradio.fm. Now, back to your Rush Hour hosts, Neil and Cameron. Everybody, we're back. We're here with Rand Fishkin from SEO Moss, and we're just talking about how if a site has top or content that's not on, you know, the whole theme of the whole site, and it gets lots of links, does it still carry weight to the whole site, and is it still effective? Well, right now it's still effective. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I think yeah, and, I mean, and I some think people... it should stay like that because if you look at all the sites on the web. How many of them stick to what they mainly talk about? There's tons of sites that deviate. It's going to be really hard to stop it. Where's the line that you draw? It's like, yeah. if you're a car site, are you allowed to talk about cars? Can't you talk about boats? So, Yeah, yeah. Well, and I mean, this is, this is obviously in the, on the fringe end of things, the, the specific example that we're talking about. But, yeah, it's, it's very tough for me to say that, you know, 
you shouldn't write content outside of your specific niche and that links that point to content outside of your niche shouldn't help you um, become more recognized as a quality place for content in general. Um, that seems hard. Should it, you know, should they necessarily be ranking higher for used cars um, today because they've got, you know, all these links into this article on on these diseases? I, I don't. I mean, I don't think the answer is a definitive no because hey, they've proven that they are more newsworthy and more interesting of a brand than a lot of their competition. So I don't know why. You know, they wouldn't deserve some recognition. Should they be the top result for it? No, probably not. But should they rank higher than, you know, 10 other guys who are doing exactly the same thing but didn't have some cool content that got a bunch of links? Yeah, they should. Definitely. And I'm on the same page with that. So, yeah. I well, we'll have to, to I'll have to, like next that. time I'm on a panel with Jennifer, I'll have to give her a hard time about that. That's <laughs> <laughs> New York, right? <laughs> See, that's right. There you go. Yep. Yeah, that'll so be I know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I know uh, the show's almost over, and I, some of your readers, I think, had questions on their uh, on your site there. Um, yeah, we did have a couple questions, and we are running out of time, like you said, so we'll try and maybe get through one or two real quick if we can. Okay. The first one is uh, from David Temple, who's uh, doing the China Search marketing tour, so just shout-out to him and anybody that wants to go to China. Head on over to this I'm, I'm going to be on that trip, so that's going to be awesome. I'm excited for it. Right on. Anyways, his question is, uh, how is social media being used to develop or engage global audience, and can we give examples? And he also wants to know what we would consider when developing social media for a global audience. Hmm. Well, I think that um, you're definitely dealing with a certain level of tech savviness in some countries that, that's over others. Um, one of the things I, I know is really interesting is South Korea, and I, I'm sad to say that I don't have any ex specific examples of sites, mostly because I don't speak or read Korean. But I know that uh, South Korea is massively invested in social media, and that, in fact, in, in South Korea, the search engines are more social media engines than anything else. And a lot of it has to do with references and, and personal preferences and what other people have voted on or you know, contributed. So uh, there's there's definitely a global market for it. I don't know. We'll see how fast it spreads. The other thing I've noticed that uh, a lot of these social media sites do reach audiences in other questions or in other countries. It's like the uh, it's like the news topic that we covered earlier today. How Digs one of the fastest growing news sites in the UK. I mean, that obviously mm -hmm. goes to show that by getting your content on any of the you know well-established, larger social media players that you are reaching a large audience in other countries yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, Delicious Popular has stuff every day that's, uh, that's in Japanese. So clearly you have a large Japanese audience, you know, using Delicious. Um, and, and I think that's, that's another positive thing. You see a lot of German content um, from Delicious and sometimes even from other sites as well. So, you know. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot too. So, Neil, do we have time for another question? Or sure, is there a quick one? Or yeah. uh, sh uh, sure, this one's from uh, Andrew Ferguson. He says Le leveraging social media to drive traffic in terms of link baiting is something that was completely inconceivable even a few years ago. So, how successful do you feel the SEO industry is at spotting and maximizing the next big trend? Yeah, well, in terms of online trends, I don't know that there's anyone better. I mean, Neil, maybe you can speak to this too, but 
uh, you know, firms like ACS and SEO Moz and stuff, I mean, we were doing this stuff a year before anyone thought it was valuable. A year before anyone, you know, was talking about link bait, we were link baiting, whether for our own sites or for our clients. So um, I think that in terms of capitalizing on the trends, not always, but definitely in terms of recognizing them. Yeah, it's very difficult to spot them ahead of time and capitalize on them. It's, I think a lot of it is just luck. Yeah, well, and the other thing is, you know, when you have guys like us and, and you know, in the field reading, you know, hundreds of blogs a day, as soon as a meme makes its way into the blogosphere at all, you know, we're going to be aware of it, and, and that's probably six to 12 months before it gets adopted by anyone outside of that small community. Well, cool, Rand. Um, we're running out of time. Thank you for being on the show. And, oh, my uh, pleasure. You know, I know you're a busy guy. We really appreciate it. <laughs> I only have like 250 more emails to get to, so I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, <have> fun with <laughs> those. <laughs> yeah, um, Rush Hour, you can catch us every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and we'll see you next week. All right, take care. Take care. reality game shows throwing around millions of dollars deal or no deal survivor american idol well webmasterradio.fm brings you a true reality show where millions upon millions of dollars in domains are on the line webmasterradio.fm presents the traffic west domain auction wednesday march 7th at 2 30 p.m eastern 11 30 a.m pacific join the host of domain masters moniker.com's monty Khan, as he brings you this multi million dollar spectacular that you can afford to miss the traffic west domain auction from the luxurious venetian hotel resort and casino in las vegas hosted by domain masters monty khan live wednesday march 7th at 2 30 p.m eastern 11 30 a.m pacific only on webmasterradio.fm we're everywhere everywhere